0: This morning is from Psalm 46. I probably should say is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear the, uh, though, the, <clears throat> though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, The catechism for the children today is the 16th question in their booklet. The question is, what is sin? The response, sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world He created, not being or doing what He requires in His law. We had a very simple definition we gave in children's church years ago. That was sin is simply missing the mark. Here's the target. Here's the center. Hit the center, you're on the mark. Anything short of that is missing the mark. And some of you say, what if you hit right here, Pastor Bob? You tell me. Is it in the center? No. Then it's missing the mark? Yeah. (laughs) But that is sin. Anything that misses the mark. Children are dismissed for their classes. We are preparing to enter the book of Exodus. We had an introduction to that last Sunday. And this Sunday I will continue the the tracing of the people of the Hebrew nations by talking about Jacob this morning. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the foundation for the Hebrew people. God promised Abraham that He would be the blessing and and that many nations would come from Him. That passed to Isaac and then it passed to Jacob. And so, uh, it is also our Christian heritage as well. Uh, We are the blessings that were included in that picture. And so, uh, from Jacob comes the twelve tribes of Israel and so very naturally we look at that as is the, the the seed if you will of the Hebrew people and the life of Jacob gets a lot of attention in the book of Genesis uh, from chapter 25 right to the end uh, when he's buried and so uh, it covers a, a lot is and and uh, we know the key stories, uh, again, probably more f- the most familiar are those that, that come through children's ministries and, and Bible stories, and probably the majority of sermons, uh, and that is the birth of, of, of Jacob, for instance. Uh, he was a twin brother to Esau. Esau was born first, and therefore to be the inheritor of blessings from the father, which would be ja- uh, Jacob. I mean uh, Isaac, and Jacob was born second, and but they were born very close together. He was grabbing the heel of his brother. He got the name Jacob, which one of the definitions is surplanter, one who takes the place of, or a more broad definition, one who deceives. And uh, you know. It, His number one thing he's known for is stealing his brother's birthright by deceiving his father Isaac into thinking he was Esau and getting the blessing that Esau should have gotten. This put an enmity between the two. Esau was very upset. He hated his brother and now plotted to kill him. Uh, his mother intervened and got uh, Isaac to send Jacob away and to, to her uh, brothers in, in uh, eastern uh, Asia. And the end result was that uh, he escaped his brother's clutches. There is so much information about Jacob and, and Jacob is so well known that I I was trying to f- figure out where am I going to focus in this am I trying I'm going to give a, a summary of this and and I decided that as I was reading through the the, the chapters on Jacob again I, I got stuck in chapter 35 um, and it ended up really standing out to me. The chapter begins, verse 1. Now, you have Jacob no longer uh, in, in, in Canaan. And it says, God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled your brother Esau. Okay. When he had left his brother He stopped in Bethel. This takes us back to chapter 28. And uh, as he was fleeing from his brother, he stopped in a place called Bethel. And I just want to pick up some verses from there. Jacob had a a dream that was very vivid. And... uh, Well, let's just just read about his dream as well. Uh, Verse 10 of chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. That's where his uncle lived. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the Top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And you and your offspring shall all uh, and, and all the families of the earth be blessed. Notice, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's speaking of a, a, a glimpse of Jesus, the cross, and our salvation. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So, Jacob's response this starts in verse 18. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means the house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me, In this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. For me, one of the key things was that I will come again to my Father's house. Notice the phrase, in peace. Meaning no fear of Esau in peace that's a very important part of this so Jacob has this dream, and then he goes on to uh, the his uncle's house, and uh, coming back, he returns uh, Jacob leaves Laban with his with his family and all his servants and all of the things that he had acquired his flocks and his herds and then in the process of approaching home uh, Jacob meets Esau and he he's intending that it's going to be a very tense meeting at best and instead in Esau embraces him he returns what in peace god kept his promise, and so uh, he's he's instructed to, you know, go all the way back to Canaan. I I I, I I'm amazed. <laughs> I was going to try to go to stereo, but it didn't quite work. Maybe next time. Uh, But Jacob makes a choice. And for lack of better words, he takes a detour. Now I'm going to take a side for a moment here. We as Christians are beset at times, if you will, by falling into routines and we end up, I can't take a better word than we end up on a plateau. We don't necessarily fall back to the bottom and, and you know, it's not like we're losing our faith or anything like that. God doesn't let that happen to us, but we, we hit a, a, a plateau. And for lack of better words, uh, we, everything becomes uh, routine, just part of what we do. Uh, that can apply to church, uh, it can apply to our prayer life, it can apply to reading the Bible, it can even apply to taking communion. Uh, I know some people get concerned that uh, us taking communion once a week makes it become commonplace. That's the flesh speaking, folks. The reality is is that communion is something that is should draw us into the presence of, of God in a very personal way, of self examination and, and and praise and worship and thanksgiving. And and so we we look at that every week as the conclusion of our service because of what God has done. We want to recognize and worship him for that. And so here we 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 Take communion, you know, as, as part of our worship, and worship it can become routine. We sing some songs because we've sung them so many times; it's almost rote. We just we sing them, and and and. My suggestion is, by the way, and I haven't said this for a long time, we should be, find ourselves praying before we ever get to church, that God would open our hearts individually, God would open our hearts, our minds, to what we have that our worship would be free and and, and glorify Him. And I will tell you, I believe that's an asset to coming to church. It's part of our worship. Uh, We should pray before we read uh, the Scriptures uh, that God would open our hearts and our minds as well. So anyway, we get to this point of a plateau and uh, we we generally need a wake-up call to get us back. And uh, Jacob has been—you know—he he had this promise from God. He 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 made a vow that he would, if God would bless him, he would return. And God had done everything that he promised he would do. And yet, Jacob stopped short of Bethel. the House of God, the place he had named that. And where he stopped in Shechem he, he, which is, is part of the area of the Canaanites, very prosperous area, very fertile area. He looked at it and, and, and it just like, oh, and he stops. He builds an altar there instead of a Bethel, he, he stopped and he built an altar there and goes through all the motions. But he fell short of his promise, of his vow. He acknowledged God, but something was missing. Because if he had acknowledged God with his full heart, he wouldn't have stayed there. I kind of thought of the church in Revelation that has drifted away from their first love. And it wasn't that they didn't acknowledge God, it wasn't that they didn't serve him, but it was like I said, kind of routine. Almost like it's the common thing to do. And and we just we do it. By the way, this is what the the Hebrew culture and even the Hebrew worship had become by the time Jesus is is returned or has come. And uh, in His first coming. And, and he makes comments about that. So this is a pattern that we can get into. We want to be careful that we not do that. Jacob has been on this plateau and he was on it for ten years. I will share with you that I believe it is possible to be on a plateau that long. In fact, some churches have been on plateaus longer than that as a whole. And then all of a sudden, God moves. And what happens? Revival. People like people like to say, oh, another great awakening. The great awakening was unsaved people waking up to God. Revival has to happen first before a great awakening. And it always does. Revival in the church. Excitement. Who God is, and His Word, and sharing of it. Says, "Right, go to Bethel," and I put in parentheses, "Return to your first love." Jacob does what he's supposed to do. It says in verse two of chapter thirty-five, he puts away all the idols. He takes them and collects them and buries them and. And 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 uh, does uh, you know that tells you again how lax things had gotten. They were tolerated. He tolerated as the as the the, the patriarch. He tolerated the, the those who had idols. It doesn't say he had one, but within the framework of his family, they were there. And he buried them. And I was thinking, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, what is an idol to us today? We don't normally have uh, the problem in our culture, although there are some parts of our culture that do, but but in our culture generally we don't have what the Bible says, golden-graven images or, or things that we put on a shelf and we pray to or this type of thing. But an idol has a very broad definition. Again, the idea of anything that misses the mark, okay, this is anything that breaks you in, uh, blocks you in growing in the Lord. Anything that blocks you in growing in the Lord, that causes you to be stagnant for the moment. Uh, and what what things can do that? Pursuing a career. I, I don't. I, I can say for myself. I know that that's gotten in the way in, in my life. Even for pastors. That can happen. Personal comfort, just the pursuit of personal comfort, meaning the things that make me comfortable, and those can be anything from the right house to the right car to the right stuff—stuff stuff that just makes you comfortable, uh, maybe uh, makes you happy. Uh, and and I and I, I put off here. We are better at seeing it in others than we are at seeing it in ourselves. And so I, I wrote, and this was actually a personal note to me, Bob, be careful, no finger, no finger pointing, uh, because uh, you have planks in your own eye. And God wants to get our attention. And so what He does it's an amazing thing because sometimes God takes us back to the beginning when we first embraced Him. When we first, for lack of a better word, fell in love with the God of our salvation. That's, like I said, revival. In 1976, and a little bit of my own testimony, I was thinking a lot about God. I wasn't necessarily looking to find God as a a faith and a religion, but to just simply understand why people would follow God. Especially dealing with the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I truly believe that's what the Bible said. Still do, by the way. But I couldn't figure out why people would embrace that. seems so... Impossible. I mean, it would take a miracle, right? And while I was thinking about that, I was watching a uh, TV show, uh, and it was the phrase, I'm third, was used. And there was an immediate flood in my mind. In 1959, 11-year-old kid sitting in an open ble- bleacher area, uh, amphitheater type thing, at a YMCA camp, and I know a lot of people have issues with YMCA, but back then it was still a Young Men's Christian Association. And uh, my grandmother made sure I went to camp every year. And every morning we sat in this amphitheater, and down at the bottom was a pulpit and, and things, and we had a, we'd have a speaker and it was normally not one of the counselors or anything, but a guest speaker. And uh, this man made a message on the phrase, I'm third. And basically what it is is that God is first, your neighbor or others second, and I'm third. In other words, the order in which you look at the world, the order in which you look at things around you, and the order you look at things. I I put God ahead of all things, and He is first in my life. I look to be an asset to other people. And of course, from a Christian point of view, uh, in a sense of hoping to lead people to faith. And then resting in myself, I'm willing to sacrifice things. I'm third. I'm willing to sacrifice things in order for those things to happen. I actually made a uh, piece of, of wood that, 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 uh, about yay big and uh, carved in it, I'm third, and then I took and, and made a lantern that out of that plastic weaving stuff that they made to, for things to hang around your neck and, and so that it would hang. And I was really pretty proud of that. I hung it in my room for a while. It wasn't too long after that that I ended up uh, leaving my family and and, uh, I never thought about it again until the 90s when I was going through my mom's stuff after she passed away and I found it in a box. Flashback. Beginnings. First commitment. I'm not sure where it is right now. I believe it's possible that it's in a box uh, in in my brother-in-law's house in Tascaró, but we're not. You know, I haven't bothered to look for it. But the reality was was that that was my first commitment. What he does after he brings you to that point, and I'm sitting there in 1976, oh, my third. And I had no idea where that plaque was at that point. But it was that flashback. He took me back to something that happened in the very early part of my life. Look what God has done. Look what God did. He gave me eternal life. Shortly after that, a couple of other things transpired, including God's use of Pat Boone, who I did not care for. And I ended up accepting Christ again as my Savior. I believe that was God's plan all along. He knew what I had to go through. He let me rest on a plateau where I ignored Him completely. In Jacob's case, he didn't ignore Him. He acknowledged Him. But it just seemed to be routine and again short of what God was asking from Him. To get off the plateau doesn't always require something new. Our churches have gone through seasons in in its history. In fact, just a, a few decades ago, Our churches were going through these great uh, attempts to bring about revival uh, by bringing something new, something fresh, something new. And it didn't happen. We don't need something new. We simply need God's presence, His Word, His grace. And a lot of times, if you will, to be refreshed, revived, and restored to our first love. In Psalm 46 the last verse that I read this morning in that Scripture reading, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Rejoice, celebrate with thanksgiving. Again, every time that we share in communion, God is taking us back to first things. Jesus started this with the beginning of what would become the church. And then the church did it every time they met, it says. And the interesting thing was that they were meeting daily. I don't know if that meant they were doing communion daily or not, but by the way the words are put together, it implies it. And as they were celebrating constantly what God had done. And so we come back, every time we do communion, we come back to, what has God initially done for us? He has opened the kingdom of heaven through the blood of Christ by forgiving us of our sins and covering us with the blood of Christ so that He looks at us as if we have the righteousness which we do of Christ because of what He's done for us. And the Holy Spirit indwells and we are believers. Am I perfect yet? No. Do I still find myself occasionally on a plateau? Yes. Do I I still find myself in sin? Yes. But what He says is, Come to Me. Ask for my forgiveness. And I think of Psalm 51, Lord, create in me a clean heart again. And renew the right spirit in me. We can always say thank You for not letting me go, but embracing me and keeping me. Thank You for opening my eyes once again to who You are, what You have done, and my salvation. We return to our first foundation. And so, as we do that this morning, I will be sharing from the Gospel of Luke the scriptures where Jesus introduces the Lord's Supper. And I just want to, before we, we sing and pick up our communion, I want to share this a couple of verses with you first. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So we go back to a first thing and look to a final thing, an ultimate thing, every time we share in communion. So as we sing our communion song. Um, I invite you to come up and pick up the, the communion. Take it back, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together.
1: One day when heaven Filled with His praises One day when sin was As black as could be Jesus came forth to Be born of a virgin Dwelled among men My example is here The world became flesh And light shined among us His glory revealed Living, He loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, one day it's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He. Hands and healed nations stretched out on the tree nails on me, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. the grave could conceal him no longer One day the stone rolled away from the door Then he arose over death he had conquered Now is ascended, my Lord evermore Death could not hold him The grave could not keep him Rising again, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Wisely he justified, freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. For His coming One day the skies with His glories will shine Wonderful day my beloved one bringing My Savior Jesus is mine Living He loved me Dying He saved me Buried He carried My sins far away. Rising, he justifies freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day! Oh glorious day!
0: chapter 22 Jesus went on to say or actually act out and say he says uh, Jesus took the bread when he'd given thanks he broke the bread and he gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me let us share the bread And after they had eaten, Jesus it says, likewise took a cup, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We do this in remembrance of Him. Let us share. Father, we thank You for this opportunity again to come around your table to thank You for what You have done, are doing, and will do. You look for that day, that glorious day. You're coming to take us home. In the meantime, remind us of frequently of who you are. Draw us into your word. Draw us together for worship and fellowship. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning to sing together, to worship together, to pray together, to open Your Word together. We ask that You go with us, be with us, bring us together again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close, please?
2: This is my song, praising my Savior.